You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, today we're starting a brand new teaching series, and it's about the fruit of the Spirit, and we're calling it The Fruit. And so we're going to spend the next nine weeks, or I guess the next eight weeks, if you don't count today, the next several weeks talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I've never done a teaching series on this. I've talked about it in different uh, messages and things, but we're going to do a deep dive in what exactly does it mean uh, to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We're going to talk about the, the different fruit of the Spirit that we're going to produce in our lives. And the reason we're doing this, I feel like God put this on my heart specifically is because our world desperately needs believers who don't just run their mouths on a daily basis, but who actually back it up by producing fruit in their actions, in their attitudes, and in their lifestyle. Uh, the last thing we need is more uh, more. Uh, Facebook theologians just putting a bunch of stuff out there, but not actually loving people with their actions, right? Not actually loving their neighbor that they live next to or their coworker that they may, might not ad- agree with. And so we need, we need believers who are willing to produce fruit. And so we're going to hop into this today. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. God wants us to live fruitful lives. That's his desire is that we would live fruitful lives. We would produce fruit in our lives. We, we say this quite a bit, but a static life, as a Christian, a static life is a sinful life. I'm not call, called to just receive Jesus someday and then do nothing with what God's given me the opportunity to get. He says, Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely give. What am I doing with the opportunity in my life that I am now a carrier of the kingdom of heaven? Am I going forth? Am I sharing it? Am I spreading it? Am I representing him well in everything that I do? Let's look at John 15. John 15 is where the name of our church came from. It wasn't just, oh, by church sounds like a cool name. That was not it. God put this on our heart, this passage, John 15. And in the New King James Version, it says this. It's abide. This is Jesus. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Everyone say much fruit. Come on, say it like you mean it. Much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Here's what's scary about that last phrase right there. Without me, you can do nothing. It doesn't mean that I sit at home and I do nothing with my time. It's worse than that in that I may be going through my life and my schedule is packed and I'm busy, and I'm going from one thing to the next, and my job, and my family, and my kids, and this thing, and practice. I'm doing all these things, but Jesus shows us that if we're not abiding, all of my busyness is for nothing. At the end of my life, I will have nothing to show for it. When I see Jesus face-to-face someday, I won't be able to take all of that stuff with me, all the busyness that I was so concerned about doing. If I'm not abiding in him, my busyness is for nothing, and I have no mission in it. Jesus wants our life to produce much fruit. Being busy isn't necessarily a bad thing. If I'm abiding, and while I'm going and living my life, I'm producing much fruit. And here's what Jesus is showing us. When we're connected to God, we produce his fruit. But as I said a little bit earlier, too many times believers can quote scripture They can seem to have all the right answers in everything that's going on. They may have perfect church attendance, 
but they lack the spiritual fruit that reveals true maturity. How do I know if someone really is walking close with God? I should be able to see it abundantly in their life, not just with their lip service and how much they can quote scripture. Do their actions back what Jesus has said in his word? Matthew 12, 33 says this. Jesus said, a tree is recognized by its fruit. And I would take it, you can take it even just how Jesus is saying it, even from afar off. I'm no tree expert, right? But I can walk up to an apple tree, and if it has apples on it, guess what? I know it's an apple tree. If that tree claims to be an apple tree, and it has a sign out front that says apple tree, but it has no apples on it, I am forced to just take trust that it is an apple tree. I don't know. I can't tell the difference. A lot of people maybe can tell the difference just by the leaves, but I can tell you the only way I know for sure is by the fruit. But this is what happens with many believers. They are claiming to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of the living God, but their actions bear no fruit. They're asking everyone else in their life to just trust them that they actually are a disciple of Jesus, that they actually are someone who trusts in the Bible. Um, I would say this. If someone claims to be a mature believer, but they lack the spiritual fruit, they're just a baby. If they claim to be a mature believer, but they lack the spiritual fruit in their life, they are just a baby Christian. And it doesn't matter how long they've been in church. They could be in church their whole life. I hate to say this, but sometimes the most immature believers I talk to are the ones that have been in church their whole life. They know things, but they have yet to let their head knowledge go to their heart. And they, have, they don't believe it in here enough to live it out. They know it here so they can talk about it, but it's not in here yet. They've yet to allow it to go deep into their life. And let me set some of you free today. You don't have to take advice from someone that can quote a lot of scripture, but can't back it with fruit in their life. They may pull you aside, especially a young person, hear me. They may pull you aside and give you a bunch of advice. And it doesn't say that the advice they're giving you is bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, before I receive from someone in my life, I look at their life. I look at how they treat their spouse. I look at how they treat their coworker. I look at how they interact with their neighbor. I look at their life. I look at what they're posting on social media. If I'm going to let someone speak into my life, I want to know that they are legitimately following Jesus, not just faking it to say that they are. Are they producing fruit in their life? Then I can receive. Then I can receive. Uh, um, a Christians, our Christian lives should be obvious to the other people around us because of the fruit we're producing. One pastor, he posed this question. If, you, if it was illegal to become a Christian in our country, if it was illegal and you got arrested for it, and you went to trial, and there was the judge and the jury, and they were trying to accuse you and convict you of being a Christian. If they brought all the evidence of your life in front of the jury, all of the evidence of your home, all the evidence of your social media, of your movie collection at your house, all the evidence of your uh, search history on your browser, if they brought all the evidence that they could find, could they prove and convict that you were a Christian? Or would it be tough to tell? Am I producing obvious fruit, not just hidden fruit, obvious fruit. Is it everywhere that I go? So what kind of fruit are we talking about here? Obviously not natural fruit. In Galatians 5, it gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'll tell you this, by the end of the series, you're going to have these memorized in order, y'all. So you're welcome for that, all right? So we're going to say those a bunch of times in order over and over again. If you're looking for a good homework assignment, I would challenge you to do this. This week, read Galatians 5 every day. Don't just read it and move on. Read it every day. And every day, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a little more knowledge into what he has for you. Because the opposite is in Galatians 5. It shows us the fruit of the Spirit. But before the fruit of the Spirit, it talks about the acts of the flesh. We won't get into those today, okay? It's not going to get super, that heavy today. So we won't get into that today, but it's in there, and you need to understand, how do I identify fruit in my life? Am I more so living by the fruit of the Spirit, or do I see more of the acts of the flesh in my life? Both of them are fruit, but what kind of fruit am I producing? What I love here is that the fruit of the Spirit, oftentimes when we're talking about it, we'll say the fruits of the Spirit. Well, the fruits of the Spirit are these different things. Scripturally, we see it as singular, without the S. It's the fruit of the Spirit, simply because the fruit of the Spirit, at its basic form, is Christ-likeness. That's what it is. It's not, I'm trying to do all of these other things, this list here. No, I'm trying to be more like Christ. And in doing so, I produce what he produces. See, Jesus is love. He is the Prince of Peace. He is kindness. He is the ultimate example of faithfulness. He is self-control. Jesus is, he is these things. And so if I want to produce those things in my life, I've got to get connected with the right source. But the common mistake is this. We choose one of these that we need to work on, and that's what we focus on. Well, today I'm, I'm going to be more patient. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm going to be more patient at work. I'm going to be more patient with my kids. I'm not going to scream. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm going to try to be more patient. I'm going to be more patient, more patient, more patient. And then don't you know it's 8 a.m. and we're already screaming at somebody on our way to work, right? Why? We're focused on the wrong thing. If I try to be more patient, what I'm really doing is if you look at it in the natural, think if I had that apple tree, and on that apple tree, I noticed one apple beginning to grow. And I hope that this apple tree produces a lot of apples, but I go and I, I get that, that one apple that's starting to grow, and I nurture it, right? I water just the one apple. I make sure there's no bugs on the one apple. I uh, make sure that the one apple gets enough sunlight, but I neglect watering the root or the other bugs that are on the tree or the other things that are happening on the rest of the tree. I ignore all that, but I'm focused on one apple. I can't guarantee that I'm going to get all the fruit off that tree. How do I get all the fruit? I focus on the root of the issue. I make sure the tree is healthy. The tree is watered. The tree has sunlight. The, the tree is bug-free. I make sure that the tree, and at its root, it is healthy. Then it can produce much fruit. It's the same way spiritually. We've got to look at, if I need more patience, I've got to look at the root of my life, which is my spirit, my soul. Is my spirit healthy? Am I connected spiritually every day in the presence of God to Jesus in my life? If not, I can try to be more patient. And if I'm more patient, what happens is it's just a counterfeit version of patience. It's not the real thing. It's not the real, the, the actual patience that the fruit or the, or the spirit wants to produce in my life. So I would say this way, if you want better fruit, work on the root. If you want better fruit, work on the root. All of these nine 
if I see them show up in my life and they're not produced by the Spirit, they're counterfeit and they're temporary and they're fleeting. They're running away. Eventually, they're not going to last, but God wants us to produce fruit that will last. So today we're talking about the first one, which is love. So I'm going to dive into this, and I'm going to cover a lot of ground here, so bear with me here. We're talking about love, and we're going to compare godly love versus worldly love. Worldly love is about feeling, and it's about getting. It's about the feelings that I have and what I can get from someone else. It's selfish. It's unbiblical. It's when we say, well, I have this warm, fuzzy feeling, and I have goosebumps when I'm around you, so I must love you because I have these goosebumps. Ah, That's not love, okay? That's just that you can... That could be a piece of pizza you ate a day ago just coming up and being weird in your body and you got some goosebumps, okay? Like, that's not love. That's not what we're talking about. But the world would say, well, you feel that way, you must be that way. If you feel that way, you must be loving towards that person. Or the world will say, I love you if I can get something in return from you. I'll love you if I can get something back from you. But here's what God says. Godly view of love is about choices and it's about giving, It's about choices and it's about giving. Biblical love is a selfless choice, not based on a warm, fuzzy feeling. That's why Jesus commands us to love others, even though they may not be deserving of love. It's a selfless choice. I'm gonna choose to love someone else, even though they may not be deserving of love. And this is where we see the word agape. This agape is the word that we see in the original language here in Galatians 5. It's agape love. Agape love is not romantic. It's not brotherly. It's not friendship love. Agape love involves faithfulness and an act of the will. Faithfulness and an act of the will. It is a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above myself. I'm going to joyfully choose to put your welfare above my own. Agape love is not natural because of that. Agape love is not something we come by naturally because it doesn't change if love is, the love that's given is returned or not. It's unchanging. You see, I, I don't know about you, but, but when somebody does me wrong, my flesh says it's difficult to love them. If they hurt me, if they hurt my family, my wife or my kids, it's tough for me to love them. That's my flesh. But agape love and the fruit of the Spirit helps me love them even when my flesh says to hate them. And that is what we see in Galatians 5. That is the war between the Spirit and the flesh. But here's what Jesus said in John 13, 34. He said, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. This is his commandment. I'm going to give you this command. As I've loved you, love others. So let's talk briefly about three different things that the love of Jesus does. The first one is this. The love of Jesus is unconditional. The love of Jesus is unconditional. Basically meaning this. Jesus says, I love you, and I choose to love you, period. I love you. And I choose to love you, period. Let's go back to John 15. It says this in verse 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. What kind of fruit? He says, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love 
each other. Our world needs that today. There's a lot of fighting going on. Love each other. Jesus gives the command to love. It's not a take it or leave it love. It's not, well, if it feels right, you can love people. It's not, it's not a suggestion from Jesus. It's a command from Jesus. Not, well, if they vote like you, you can love them. Now, he says, love them. This is my command. Love each other. And here's why. God never asks you to do something that he can't help you do. He's not going to ask you to do something that he himself will not help you to achieve. That's why it's the fruit of the Spirit, meaning I can't produce this kind of love in myself. I must be connected to a greater source so his love can flow through me to other people. He wants to empower you to love others this way because it's not natural. Here's the danger of if I choose not to love others. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So here's what I would say. A lack of love for others reveals a lack in my relationship with Jesus. A lack of love for others reveals a lack in my relationship with Jesus. Because I'm a channel for him. I reflect him. I reflect his love. He said, as I've loved you, now you get to love other people. You get to love other people. It's a privilege to represent Jesus to others. God chose to love me, so I choose to love you. It's a simple way of putting it. Because he chose to love me, I'm going to represent him well, and I'm going to choose to love you. I may not agree with you, but God loved me when I, when I didn't agree with him, so I'm going to choose to love you. I may not agree with your lifestyle, but God loved me when he didn't agree with my lifestyle, so I'm going to choose to love you. It's easy to be disgusted in other people's sins and forget about the grace God has given us in our sins. It's easy to say, well, they're disgusting. That's just too far. But sin put Jesus on the cross. There wasn't, well, these sins didn't, and these sins did put him on the cross. Sin put him on the cross. And it's easy to look at someone else's sin and be like, that's disgusting, and that's too far, and that's, 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 incredibly wrong and be disgusted, but then forget about the grace that God has given you and me. Now, hear me in that. The love of Jesus and in receiving his grace, it doesn't mean that we affirm or are okay with leaving people in sin. And that's the difference. I, I can't affirm you in it. I'm not going to leave you in it because that's not what Jesus did to me. But if I don't love someone in their sin, I'll never reach them for Jesus. If I don't love someone in their sin, I will never reach them for Jesus. And so here's point number two. The love of Jesus is truthful. It's unconditional, meaning I love you. Even, and Jesus loves us even when we have turned our back on him, when we've let him down, when we have ran from him in his love, when we continue to run from him, he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. It's unconditional. But the love of Jesus is truthful. The truth of Jesus and his love, it brings freedom and it brings life. Look at Colossians 1, verse 5. It says this, The gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit. We're going to see that all throughout this entire series. Bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. 
What does he say? The gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, it is, it is going, it is producing fruit, it is changing lives, it is taking over just like it did in your life. When? When you understood the grace of God in truth. It's both. It's the grace of God and the truth of God coming together. That's when it changes my life. Grace by itself will not change my life because it's not Jesus. And truth by itself will not change my life because it's not Jesus. Jesus is grace and truth. He is both of those put together. And when I understand that and when I receive that, I get to see my life transformed into something I couldn't even imagine in my life. This is the difference between uh, you need a Savior and a Lord. Everyone loves saying, well, I need Jesus to save me from my sin, to save me from hell. Everybody loves a Savior, Jesus. But we need to transition from saved me now I'm going to make you the Lord of my life, meaning the Lord of my thoughts, my actions, my home. I submit everything to you because you are Lord and I am not. You've saved me, and my reaction to that now is you are Lord of my life. What do you need from me? Even better, what do you need me to cut out of my life and stop doing or start doing or lean into or get out of? What do you need me to do? Because you are Lord and I am not. It's the transition from Savior to Lord. It's both of those things. But many times we can share the truth in love. And this is what happens in our modern culture. You may have a heart for people and you're trying to share the truth in love to them. But the world will still call it unloving. So let me give you some peace today. Let me get the weight off your shoulder today. You can share the truth in love in a, the most loving way possible that you can, but there are still going to be part of the world, part of our culture that will look back at you and say, that's unloving. But you have to be okay with knowing you did what God told you to do. Not change your way, not change, not change your, your attitude or your belief to fit culture. Now, I'm going to speak the truth in love and they may come back and say that it's unloving, but it's not according to Scripture. This is why on our, our uh, YouTube, on our video that, has a, that was our response to Pride Month, eventually we just had to turn off the comments because you don't trust me. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. Okay, there was all kinds of stuff coming. And then people would find another video of ours that didn't have the comments turned off and comment about the Pride video. And just, just so much pushback on things that we had to say. But if you watched that video, if you were here in person, you know that we approached it in a very loving way, but a very truthful way that is very difficult to hear sometimes. Uh, somebody said it this way, it's not hate speech just because you hate to hear it, right? It's not hate speech just because you hate to hear it. Sometimes it's the things that you hate to hear that are the things you need to hear that will change your life. Here's a great example. If I came home today or this afternoon and I saw Gavin playing in the street in our neighborhood, we live in uh, this neighborhood that our street's kind of the cut through, and so it's the main cut through. So people come down that, the street going 30, 30, 35 miles an hour sometimes, like way too fast. A lot of kids always playing. If I come out and Gavin's playing in the street and I say, Gavin, hey, bud, we don't play in the street. I pull him aside. I explain to him, hey, you can't play in the street because people coming down this road, they're not looking for you. They're, they're just trying to get home. They're just trying to cut through and beat traffic. They're not looking for you. And somebody could hit you and you could seriously get injured. If I pull him aside and I tell him that, and then I come out five minutes later, and he's back in the street. Well, obviously, we're going to have a disciplinary moment. Amen, somebody. And, and I'm going to pull him aside again. I'm going to say, hey, bud, you know better. Because you disobeyed, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go through all of that. I'm not going to get into that today. That's a different topic. But uh, it's not unloving for me to look at him and say, don't play in the street. 
But he could look back at me, and he would never do this, but he could look back and say, why do you hate me so much? Why don't you want me to have any fun? Why won't you let me enjoy life? Why won't you let me do what I want to do? And here's my response. It's the same response I would give to my son playing in the street as I would to anyone that I confront about speaking the truth and love to them and calling out a sin or something in their life. I say, I, because I love you and what you are doing leads to death. It's what I would tell my son playing in the street. It's what I would tell someone, and I have told people that have come up, and we've had conversations about a lifestyle that they're living, and I say, look, I love you, so I have to tell you that what you are doing leads to death and destruction, and it's only going to bring pain to you. Now, you get to choose. I've shown you the truth. You get to choose what you want to do. I can't choose for you, and I'm not going to force you, but you get to choose how you will respond to this truthful moment. I don't hate my son because I don't let him play in the street. I love him in the most godly way possible because I'm keeping him from death. And that's what we must do with the influence in our lives as we choose to love others just like Jesus did in what? In truth. I must speak the truth. We must be mature in our faith so that we can have a godly perspective. And here's what that means. How can I tell Gavin not to play in the street? It's because I know. I've seen stories I've been close to families that have had kids get hit in the street and luckily not die, but have been injured. I've visited kids in the hospital who have had injuries like that before. I know. I have a different perspective. He's never experienced that. He doesn't see it that way. But this is why it's important for believers to mature in the faith. As you mature in the faith, you gain the perspective of God. And when I have the perspective of God, I can speak into someone's life from a different angle than they can see, just like I can speak into my son's life from a different angle. This is what Ephesians 4 says. It says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Let me stop there for a second. This is why we give you the note-taking cards. I say this all the time. I give you the note-taking cards so you can go home Look those verses up in your Bible. Take God's word for it, not just my word. Look it up. Find it so that you're not just tossed around by any, uh, anything that you hear or watch on YouTube just because someone may have, uh, you know, a thousand people in their church. It doesn't always mean that it's 100% truth from God's word. In verse 15, it says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I've got to mature because God needs me to have a godly perspective to speak into other people's lives. And he's entrusting me with relationships and with influence at work and in my family and with, with coworkers and neighbors. He's entrusting me with this influence. But too many times we waste it away because we're just casually staying at this level of Christianity rather than maturing in the faith and continuing to grow. John Stott, he said it this way. This quote says this. He says, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. He's saying, look, if it's all grace, it's, all, it's too soft. Well, just do whatever you want. God will forgive you. You're fine. No problem. You do you, right? That's not Jesus, and that's not real love. But the opposite is also true. He says, if it's just all truth, well, you're just, everybody's going to hell, and that's how it is, and it's super hard, guess what? Neither way is going to bring people into the kingdom of God. 
This is why scripture shows us that Jesus was grace and truth. And let's not get it twisted. He wasn't 50-50. He was 100% grace, 100% truth, just like he was 100% man, 100% God. He was both. Can't, Pastor Dan, that math doesn't add up. I know. It's biblical math. It's scriptural math. It's kingdom math. It doesn't add up. That's not my job to say, well, that doesn't quite add up. It's my job to believe that he was grace and truth, not one or the other. He walked in the perfect combo of both of those. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how if I am doing all the right things and I'm, uh, I'm trying my best to be a, a good Christian, but maybe I'm just bashing people over the head with truth and scripture and all I'm doing is getting after people, but I do not have love, it says I'm just like a clanging cymbal. How annoying would it be if you came here today and I just had a big old cymbal up here and I was just banging it for 30 minutes nonstop. Anybody coming back? No, I wouldn't come back, okay? Like, I won't be here either, right? If I was just doing that for 30 minutes, clanging the cymbal, Scripture says that's what it's like when I'm just beating people over the head with Scripture without having love in my, in my relationships. And here's the great, this is the fruit that you see. It's not good fruit. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's when you walk into a room and everyone kind of hides their face because they don't want to talk to you. When you have no influence, when you walk in and everyone kind of clears out, or but oh man, this guy again, this girl again. Oh, I just hope I don't get caught, you know, talking with them, stuck in a conversation. It's those moments where you know I am sounding more like a clanging cymbal than like Jesus. Because Jesus could speak the truth in love and people came to him. They may have left offended or, or upset that he called them on their sin, but most of the time they left changed in what Jesus had to say. Am I sounding more like a clanging cymbal or like Jesus. The last one is this. The love of Jesus is sacrificial. The love of Jesus is sacrificial. It's unconditional. I choose to love you. It's truthful. Look, I love you. Even though I don't uh, agree with you and you're, what you're doing is leading to death. But it's sacrificial. Agape love serves the need of others. And that's what we're called to do. First John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Agape love, sacrificial love, it's active. It's not lip service. It is something that moves and is active and is looking to sacrifice even things in my own life if it means that I can love someone well and if I have a chance to bring them into the kingdom of God. It's sacrificial. Talk is cheap. One pastor said it this way. Talk is cheap. Love has feet. Talk is cheap. Love has feet. Am I putting feet to my faith in areas of my life to love people well? as Jesus commanded me to. Here's the perfect example of all of this. It sums it up in Romans 5, 8. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This verse shows us all three areas of Jesus' love. The first is it's unconditional. I choose to love you. Jesus chose to love us enough to go to the cross while we were spitting on him whipping him and nailing him to the cross. He still chose the cross. It's truthful. 
What did he say? While you were sinners. He didn't sugarcoat it. You were, were, past tense, you were dead in your sin. He didn't say, well, you were fine and it'll all be covered eventually. He said, you were sinners. He's truthful and it's sacrificial. He said, I'll take the death you deserve so that you can have the life that I deserve. Because God so selflessly loved me first, I will love him in return and I will choose to love others as well and do my best to be a representation of his love to other people, even if I don't get anything from them in return. Friends, that's difficult to do outside of the spirit. And that's why going back to the very beginning, what does it mean to produce this fruit? I have to abide every day. I have to be in the presence of God every day. If I need more patience, I need to get in his presence intentionally. If I need more self-control, I need to get in his presence intentionally. When I have young men come to me and they're struggling with something, something with self-control or something like that, one of the first questions I ask is, how's your daily time in God's presence? And most of the time, if they're really struggling, their response is, ah, it's not great. You know, I kind of pray on my way to work and I, you know, I don't really have a time though where I'm in his word, bingo. Let's lean into that and watch how the fruit of the spirit will begin to flow through you and self-control will show up in your life when you're focused on getting more of him, not trying to get more self-control. The fruit of the spirit is singular. What is it? It's Christ's likeness. We cannot produce this fruit without abiding in him. Jesus' love is unconditional. I choose to love others, even if I don't agree with them. It's truthful. I speak the truth in love, just like I would tell my kid, don't play in the street. It's gonna lead you to death. Don't do that. Let's have life. It's sacrificial. Talk is cheap, but love has feet. God loved me selflessly. So now I will love others selflessly in word and deed. Let's be a people who are known for representing Jesus well. So our whole mission here, help people live, love, and look. Who? Like who? Jesus. Let's reflect him well this week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we say thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts deep in us first. It, it fixes things, it prunes things, it gets rid of things in our life so that we can represent you well and be a clear channel for you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that this week as we pursue you and as we pursue abiding in your presence this week, Lord, I pray that you would work through us, produce your fruit in us and not our own. Let us be a great reflection of you. And Lord, I ask you to give us opportunities to love people well, the way that you have loved us and you have commanded us to love, Lord, which is unconditional, truthful, sacrificial. We thank you for it. And we thank you for the fruit that you're going to begin to produce in our lives. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com. 